Well, Rune, welcome to Breakpoint and Validated. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think, a fun one for a lot of us. You are one of the OG DeFi co-founders that's built one of the most respectable protocols. And it's really awesome to have you here at Breakpoint this year. So thank you for coming first. Thanks. Glad to be here. So I wanted to to start off, you re have been thinking more than probably anyone else in the blockchain industry about how you build resilient DAOs with nested architectures that honestly resemble a lot of the stuff you learn about in political science classes and in college that are sort of built to be resilient with checks and balances on different systems. And you put out a whole endgame vision of what this looks like for Maker. I kind of want to start there today and in, in sort of your journey through the protocol and how you actually started to think about this architecture for what the future of Maker looks like. Yeah, right. We are the we are by far the the biggest DAO in terms of revenue. We're also the oldest, really old in crypto terms. And what Maker does is we manage the world's largest decentralized stablecoin with something like 5.4 billion DAI in circulation. And basically in many ways, we became so big because we were really the first stablecoin that was robust enough to get a lot of, of traction in the last cycle. But what happened was as the system grew, as you know, a lot of die uh, into circulation, there was a lot of demand, there was a lot of growth. We had a really hard time scaling the DAO alongside that, right? The, the yeah. human element of the DAO. So we used to have a foundation and that was able to launch the system. And then we dissolved the foundation and sort of turned it over to the DAO as, as often happens. Uh, and then, I mean, and this is also something that happens all the time, then as soon as that you, you turn something over to the DAO, it becomes a bit of a disaster because, you know, you're saying, oh, there's a bunch of people with some tokens and huge sums of money, right? I mean, yeah. $5 billion, that's that's a massive business, right? And you're essentially saying, yeah, let some random dudes on the internet uh, figure it out with no help, more or less, right? It's like, yeah, yeah vote, vote for it and figure it out, right? So... Basically, the end game plan is the realization that, yeah, you can't just expect like the free market to figure it out or the community to figure it out. Figure it out. You got to be very, very, you know, thoughtful around what exactly are we expecting the DAO to do? What exactly are we expecting people to make decisions on? And generally, and most importantly, I guess we want to just remove as much as possible of any of those like decisions in general. The governance, the all the, the all that that variability and try to make something that really is just as simple and resilient and reliable as possible because ultimately what the system does at its core is deliver stability through a stable coin and you know it shouldn't really be more complicated than that ideally it just happened all by itself yeah unfortunately that's not possible but you can build a lot of mechanisms that make it very reliable how the humans and how the governance then uh, runs the system and that's that, that's ultimately what the entire in-game plan does in a series of very you know long-term steps over a very long period of time because this is a huge challenge. But really the main breakthrough, like the main innovation that we hope uh, will, will really um, change the game and make all of this possible and scalable for the long run is this idea of sub-DAOs. That you, the way you scale a DAO is you, you sort of parallelize parts of it as it scales up and you make sure basically that that there are these nested smaller scale structures within the greater structure that allows for more 
flexibility and more individual decisions. Yeah, so you don't just have this like giant monolithic thing that that sort of is, is you know it crumbles under its own weight. Right. It, you know, it's funny the I've been saying for probably two years now, like the biggest problems in blockchain aren't technical anymore. They're human, right? That you can you can do these sorts of things, like you can build incredibly performant systems. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just computer science. It's just work. It's just software engineering. DAOs are the messy part. Human governance is the messy part. I think we we often go from there was a king in France to the French Revolution, and we forget the part in the middle where a lot of people lost their heads. And that's what it kind of feels like nowadays to be involved in a DAO governance system for the most part. So like, let's let's get into a little bit of like what type of work you think gets broken out into sub DAOs. I mean, for like the political science nerds, are we basically talking about three branches of government with like executive committees that then refer things up? Like, what does that relationship look like once it's actually built? So I would say you can't, you, I would say you can't necessarily compare the sub DAOs to sort of real world political structures in that way, but there is a lot of parallels you can draw sort of here and there in, in, right. in different ways, right? But you know, the really the thing is, what's more important than how do you sort of govern all this and how does it all run? Really, actually, at the at like the, the number one thing that we really want to achieve first is just how to get a lot of people engaged, hmm. because that's one of the things. I mean, we basically found was that a major advantage of decentralized governance is something along, I mean, some along, along lines of like the security advantages you get with open source software, which is if you've got a lot of people looking and they know how to look at this stuff, it gets a lot more safe. Like yeah. it's going to get a lot harder to get, a, you know, to make really bad decisions or get away with corruption if you've got a lot of eyes on it, right? You're shining a lot of light on what's happening and, and there's a lot of people who are also actually looking. So actually the, the, the you know, the sort of the, the fundamental like principle that we're going for is resilience that enables growth. And then the oh. growth itself further entrenches that resilience, right? And so the way that subdows, they they create both. But I think yes. most obviously how they drive growth directly is through the tokens. So so that's kind of the key thing that makes a subdow a subdow is that we're talking about a new and separate token for each of the subdows. And that's the thing. I mean, so today we're seeing a lot of of there's a lot of DAOs today that are experimenting with subdaos in various shapes and form, but the thing that makes a subdao real and makes it worthy of the designation as a subdao is when you introduce some kind of separate risk capital in some shape or form, right? Sure. You're saying there's a separate group that are taking some kind of risk, putting their money where their mouth is, and making some sort of autonomous decision. But if it goes wrong, it's gonna hit their hit them on on on, on the money they put up, right? So you actually had this, you've had this for quite a while in Aave, actually, for instance. So in Aave, yeah. they have these like multiple markets and then people can participate in governance of those. And then to do that, they have to put some money at risk where they want to help regulate that market. The subdown model that we're going for in Maker is then like the, the Aave model and a lot of other ideas we've seen across the space really taken to the extreme, the, like the most effective and, and, and powerful extreme, I think, which is every single subdown has its own token. And then what you do is you use yield farming. And that's really one of the real major, uh, you know, uh, sort of secret weapons of, of the end game plan of this whole model. Because what that means is now you have a method to draw in a lot of people, right? So, right. so the, the maker subdows, they will be distributed. They have the tokens entirely distributed through yield farming to end users of the, the new future upcoming upgraded die stable coin. That's, it's re-upgraded to 
for the sake of a rebrand, which is a part of this strategy of increasing access to the system. And this new upgrade token, you know, the, the, the really the, what will make it stand out is this ability to not just get a good yield in cash, which is already possible today with DAI, but also get this almost gamified experience of picking a sub DAO that you believe in, that you want to be a part of, or maybe you just think it has upside potential, or maybe you think it stands for a good purpose. Uh, but, but, you know, it's making personal finance and saving just a little bit more fun than, you know, just some numbers and 5%, 4%, clicking sure. around on, on lame online banking software. That sucks, right? Nobody wants to do that. That right. feels like work, right? It should feel like a game. I mean, and, and the reality is, in most cases, the only thing that's capable of bringing people into crypto, because, I mean, unless you're an engineer, crypto just sucks, right? Like, it's complicated and it's boring. And like, and nobody cares if you can save a little bit of money or something or make a little bit more money in crypto. Like it, it's gotta be like something, a holy world, right? And if it's not a holy world, a normal person is never gonna get involved, right? Yeah. With DeFi summer, right? What we saw there was yield farming applied as like this game where people were like, this is something, whole, this is this holy world. Often it was packaged, unfortunately, as you know, crazy unsustainable yields that turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. So it was like, I mean, it, it you know, a lot of it was get rich quick and, and people getting blinded by high numbers and then losing their shirt. But I do believe that in the end, the reality is the getting rich part wasn't really the, I mean, it was, that wasn't the main driver really. I think the real driver was the sort of the journey of like, this group is coming, like something is coming out of nothing, right? A token that was just made out of thin air cost, you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people to organize and come together. And 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 now that's suddenly, it, they're suddenly a thing. And then usually what happened is then it all fell apart or got rock pulled or whatever. <laughs> but, it, but it could have been something, right? And then for a brief, beautiful moment, it felt like something real came out of nothing. And with our yeah. sub-DAOs, we want to basically take that, but, you know, dial down the unsustainable yields that blows up and replace that with a system where the underlying business model works, right? That's the stablecoin model that Maker already has shown is highly profitable, right? Highly sustainable. And then just focus on the fun, focus on the community, focus on the on the ability to very easily, right? Like be a part of something greater um, and, uh, and then try to use this to go out, you know, to the broader, I mean, crypto using community like Tether users or something, right? That are barely crypto users, right? or even regular people that are not into crypto at all and be like, look, here's something that it does deliver something different, right? It's something new and it's safe. This time it's not going to blow up, right? And we can we can prove it. If you want to see, we can show all the collateral and, you know, all those things that are, all those awesome things that are possible if you do blockchain right. Yeah. So that's the number one thing of like, that's how we bring in all of these people so we can try to organize and try to get the governance functional. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about it in that way because one of the pieces of crypto that's always been so addictive is the community component of it. But I think most DAOs, with maybe the exception of Helium, have found that when you actually try and get people to do work, work is not fun. Work is work, right? And that's when people sort of start falling out of the DAOs. They say, well, I can hold the token and someone else can participate in the DAO and they'll do the work. Or it turns into something where, you know, DAO members are paid $10,000 a month to be on a multi-sig. And like, what are they really doing besides saying yes to the largest token holder's desires? 
So how do you look at balancing that desire to build like fun, robust communities with actually people doing work? Like would different sub DAOs almost be assigned different work streams or how do you think about the process of actually doing things within this sub DAO architecture? So I think the, the fundamental philosophy of if you do work, if you generate value, you should receive a part of that value that you help generate. That, that, yes. that needs to be a part of it, right? So, and the problem is, as you basically put it, is DAOs nowadays, they've figured it out, but only to the extent where they have no idea how to then price the work or measure the work or anything. So it just becomes a total circus, right? And so that's one of the things, I mean, we basically, I mean, we're the best at this in Maker currently, but we're still not very good at it. However, we are very rapidly improving our capabilities at exactly this kind of stuff. So how, how to measure work how to price work, how to reward work correctly. And then also, alongside that, there's another element, which is how to try to make it more fun, how to make it more streamlined, how to make it less frustrating and more you know, smooth, easier to coordinate. All of these things can be done with tools and, and even AI, which is a, a big part of the in-game plan as well, that eventually we will increasingly apply AI solutions to how, try to make certain processes easier where they can, they can be solved with, with things like LLMs or whatever to, I mean, Kid. summarize like write out your, you know, boring paperwork. Why don't yeah. you have an AI do that, right? If, if that's the case in a system like this, then suddenly people won't ask such crazy premiums to like, I don't know, be on a multisig because it no longer feels like you're also in this crazy DAO world where everything is like, you have to be a coder to do anything or whatever, right? It can be more like a real, real job or like a normal, just a normal situation, right? So the thing that actually is the most important to me, though, in this sense, is that something that I feel that most in crypto gets terribly wrong is that they have this idea that the goal is always to take everybody, like in the DAO or in the whatever it is, and like everybody needs to become a full-on cultist. Yeah, and that's the goal, right? Yeah. So, so normies they come from the outside and they're like, uh, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not interested in going that deep, right? And so what we realize is, I mean, the reality is most people just don't like most people they don't you know, they want to buy some coins on Binance and that's about it, right? And if you want to try to convert them to like participate in, in, in Maker and SubDAOs, then like the vast majority, like the best we can hope for is they will maybe hold a stable coin and then maybe farm a SubDAO and, and, and yeah. that's about it. It's like trying to make every iPhone user an Apple developer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. many, many DAOs think in those terms. And it's also very binary, right? It's like, oh, you can be an outside user and then if you want to, if you peak one level deeper, you get like the, you know, you get like the whole raw thing, right? Go to the forum, right? And then you get like flooded with like crazy posts on the forum, right? Yeah. So we want to build much more like a smooth transition, a little bit more like, you know, an MMO, right? Or an RPG or something sure. where you start out at level one and it's really simple and easy. And, and the whole game is crazy complicated, but it's hidden from view, right? You get very, very slowly over a very long period of time, slowly introduced to it, right? Yeah. So, but the highest level is the level of, simply entering the ecosystem, you know, farming the sub-DAOs, right? Like even the basic decision a user makes when they sort of interact with the system and they're like, I have some capital and I would like to get a yield and I want it to be fun and, and, and farm a sub-DAO token. And then the choice of which sub-DAO to farm, that itself is actually what I call micro-governance, right? Because they're really taking some knowledge and some impression, some kind of data that they're able to to sort of actually send as a signal to the system in a sense, right? And the system should be capable of reacting to that. Yeah. Like if a lot of people are farming a particular sub that could be seen as a sort of very soft, obviously, 
very noisy, but ultimately a signal that that shows that there this sub DAO you know can do something that's better than the others, right? And and then uh, a part of the in game plan and so the whole the, the the innovations that it brings to the table is this very advanced tokenomics that then results in basically like it tries to integrate as many of these micro governance signals as possible and use that to drive like autonomous mechanisms such as which sub DAOs to subsidize, right? So the ones that are not very you know, that are not getting a lot of micro-governance signals should get less autonomous subsidies versus the ones that are getting more signals, right? Yeah. Which is, yeah, it, it, and it, it it sounds extremely complicated and, and it, it really is, people shouldn't even really know about this stuff or think <laughs> about it, right? But on the hood, it actually is also quite simple, but it's just that it's something totally new. So, uh, you know, yeah. usually um, the best way to think of it is simply just that, that, it's like, it's a little bit like you're trying to make the whole thing into, you know, to, to give it some ability to think for itself by ingesting the data and the signals from the users. Yeah. So as part of this big endgame proposal that you put out, um, part of that included a new underlying architecture to build the future of Maker on. And you said that the SVM looks like it might be a pretty good architecture to do that. I think that met some people in the Ethereum community and the EVM community were surprised that you would say that the SVM is actually a great architecture for this. First, like, how did you get comfortable with that as an architecture you thought would be a good direction to take this in? And what's that community response been like proposing something that's a pretty decent departure from where Maker currently is? Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately it was a bit of a failure of communication for mm. me because I, I i the reality is that you know so at the time and i guess still to this point i don't i definitely don't know enough about solana or other blockchains to to have any sort of sense of 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 like uh, i mean to, to be honest we don't even know our own requirements yet sure for this stuff but i mean what we do know is i mean basically what i was just talking about all this very advanced tokenomics right you know, a dynamic allocation of resources to subdows. What we do know is that that benefits immensely from very low friction and very low transaction costs. And and even more importantly, uh, the system needs whatever transaction costs, whatever friction that needs to that that does exist needs to be possible to recapture by the system itself. And if you have that, you, if you have that extreme level of efficiency, then you can sort of take the power of these tokenomics uh, and 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 the what we call alignment engineering that it embodies, right? Which is basically systems that help bring the humans together, bring them in the right directions, help to draw out the useful information and knowledge from them. Uh, you can take that entire solution that does all of this stuff and you can sort of dial it up to 11 because the, the cost of doing this is yeah. the friction of, you know, basically transferring out all the tokens and all of these like on-chain actions, right? That you would like to do, you know, thousands of times per second potentially, right? If you really want to see this at its full potential. So combined with the fact that we also need a standalone blockchain for the backend architecture of this so that we can hard fork the governance for like some edge case governance security reasons that, you know, is a whole subject of its own. Then that led us to, okay, yeah, we should be looking at what is the absolute best tech stack to pick to fit with exactly what we need for basically a, a sort of a maker backend app chain. And then Solana is just like the absolute obvious place to start. And the reason is, it's the you know it's the biggest alternative to Ethereum, right? Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, so what I thought would happen is when we started talking about experimenting with forking Solana to learn more about alternative blockchains, then you'd get Solana people being like, "Whoa, they're stealing our tech or something," right? So I was like, in my, I was talking about look, steal our tech. It's all yeah, open source. Yeah, right. I mean, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think in well, it's probably it's the same actually in the Ethereum community, right? That yeah. that um, that in Ethereum people also want to hard focus so, but there is this sense of like, I mean, you, you know, the more stuff there's a mainnet, the better, right? There's this this lack of, I mean, sometimes it can be a lack of nuance of how powerful open source is because of the synergies you get from from uh, you know basically sharing developer might share and, and, and capacity and ecosystem. And I yeah. mean, then it got taken completely wrong, right? Because it got seen as, and, and I mean, that also includes a lot. There were a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of, of maxis on all sides. Sure. But it, I mean, there's no better Xbox versus PlayStation in crypto <laughs> than, than Ethereum versus Solana. So people went right into it, right? And started uh, smut slaying at each other. Can he? Which is a mistake on our end because the reality is we're definitely absolutely not leaving Ethereum. Of course. It, the, quite the contrary, right? Because all of the subdows, which is our entire focus, is like they're all entirely Ethereum focused. And that's because, I mean, that's where all the users are, you know? Mm -hmm. And they will go to Solana as well in the future, especially if more users come to Solana, right? Which I, which I totally hope. But obviously, um, the, the kind of the core of the user base will likely remain on Ethereum because the network effect is just so strong, right? But regardless of where the users are and, and where the network effect is and so on, uh, we simply need our own backend uh, architecture so that we can deliver the best possible version of, of our system, right? Of our, the big vision of what we want to do, right? Of gamified savings, right? Of yeah. the most efficient, the, the best governed DAOs, uh, the most stable, stable coin. All of these things, we want to deliver them to Ethereum users, to potentially Solana users, to any other blockchain where there are users uh, and we need that standalone backend to do that. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where usually when I hear someone talking about, oh, we should be looking at doing something like an app-specific chain, the answer is like, why, right? And, and for most applications, it actually doesn't make sense to do. You have a very specific use case here, which is that you want the ability to hard fork the chain which is something you can't do with an L2, is something you can't do if you're building on someone else's mainnet. Um, and so it's a really, like, this is sort of the goal of the SVM and the Solana tech stack in general is to be an execution layer um, that can extend the capabilities of whatever else you like to do. I mean, we, we heard from the Threshold folks um, earlier in the conference, it's like, if you like to trade Bitcoin, trade it on Solana, right? If, you, if you're running a governance system that requires really high TPS and fast finality, the SVM is a great architecture for that, even if most of your users end up experiencing things on Ethereum. And and I, I think it is unfortunate that there's so much blind tribalism. I mean, there's useful tribalism, right? The, the sort of debates among system architecture make both architectures stronger. Um, but that's very different than the sort of, like, how dare you think about an app chain based on Solana as opposed to an app chain based on EBM. Yeah, but, you know, I think it's a lot of it is also just a bear market thing, right? Yeah. So the maximalism stuff went away. To, I mean, it was much less uh, there in general at, at when when everybody was making money and so on, right? And then when people are down bad and with have their heavy backs, 
They, they need, they, you know, they get this cognitive dissonance, right? Where they got to find some explanation for why the hell didn't they sell earlier? And that's a good, it's a great, it's a great uh, distraction to then get into some, some uh, maxi uh, fights on Twitter or something like that. But the reality is, right, I mean, my favorite like analogy for how the blockchain world should see, like, like how, I mean, the reality is it's so, it's fun. Yeah. Especially fun to watch. But it is kind of stupid from a sort of rational perspective of growing the, you know, growing the space, growing the industry, changing finance, changing the world, getting more people involved. Yeah. You know, getting more uh, prosperity and success for everybody in the industry. That's really not served by a bunch of mudslinging and, and, and drama and, and, and the maximalism, right? And the way I like, I mean, and the way I view that is something like, you know, Germany and France, they're like two countries that have been at war for ages, right? And they fight because, I mean, well, we're both countries and we'd like to do stuff and we like to take land from each other. And, and then at some point they realize, oh, we can actually, like, there's a lot of resources we can share and then we can start to trade and we can, you know, share technology with each other. And then we can do the European Union, right? And have this massive interconnected network where everybody benefits. And, and, and that's really what I think will end up happening with Solana and Ethereum and any other big blockchain is, I mean, they have these native economies, especially yeah. Ethereum, right? Ethereum is, it's unbreakable in the sense that it has this absolutely massive native economy that will always be valuable. So yeah. it doesn't matter how fast or how flashy any other blockchain will be. Everybody's got to have a very good, you know, trade route to uh-huh. Ethereum if they want to have any chance of competing. And and I think that'll, that'll that we will see a lot more of that. And actually, the, one of our goals with the new chain is because we're building a backend that sort of has this sort of where a lot of the backend stuff happens on the on the chain, but it also like you know reaches out and and a lot of the functionality remains in Ethereum. All the sort of use affecting functionality remains natively in Ethereum, but it can also then natively be available on other chains, yeah, such as Solana, right? And so that would re- that would result in potentially. Uh, you know, this chain being a, a way to develop more robust, more resilient trade routes, essentially, between different economies and different blockchains. Yeah. So we're hoping to be able to to facilitate that and just get a bit past the, yeah, the bad, the, the worst parts of the tribalism and, and maybe keep the fun parts of it and also the constructive, uh, you know, uh, technology, uh, scientific um, sort of development parts of it. Right. And just grow the whole space, right? And, and get us to the next level. Yeah, I, I really love that sort of vision of how you bring using one application network to sort of extend that application into a bunch of different places. This is what Regen Network is doing with carbon credits, right? It's really cool to see this work that is really cross-chain, but not cross-chain in the traditional sense we talk about it. It's really the idea of like you can coordinate in one place and you can publish out to multiple areas, Um which I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um, quickly before we wrap up today, outside of Maker, outside of DAOs, what are you excited for in the blockchain space right now? I, mean, I would say I'm really excited about just all the, the next-gen uh, blockchain stacks, like the L1. I mean, so I had never looked beyond Ethereum yeah. uh, until pretty much like, I mean, it's a while back I concluded, yeah, we're going to need our own chain at some point, but like it's way out. So only when I started like, okay, let's play around Ethereum, like let's play around with Solana to check it out as as, as a first uh, as a first step to learn more about what blockchain to do. I mean, to eventually pick many years down the road. I mean, there were a lot of Ethereum people who got, you know, excited or, or uh, you know, agitated, right? But there's so many other blockchains out there as well like yeah. that I had, I'd never heard about it because I was always like, Ethereum, that's it. I don't want to hear about your other thing, right? But, but so I mean, there's 
obviously the Solana, and that was the one that was sort of obvious to me. But but there's so many others, and everyone's quite cool. And and I mean, it's it's been I've been in I've been in the space for like you know 12 years now. Yeah. And and like I mean, it's gone a long way. Like the modern cutting edge stuff we're seeing now is is uh, pretty mind blowing to me because I mean the at this stage the blockchain I feel, I know the most is probably still Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and and maybe Ethereum a little bit, but. This more crazy advanced stuff. I mean, this is really the first time I've been diving properly into that. And I think that's really, really cool. Awesome. Well, Rune, thank you for joining us on Validated. And thank you for coming to Breakpoint. Thanks for having me.